Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. Welcome to another episode of the SSU Podcast. I am your host, Thomas, joined today by my co-host, Chris. Chris. Hello, Thomas. How are you today? I am doing well. I am coming to you from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This has been quite a trip we've been on. As you know, Thomas, uh, we flew into D.C. on, gosh, what day was that? Saturday? On Saturday last saturday and um spent a night there and then went to came up to lancaster you, you, and then you, you, you spent spent a night where in washington i'm sorry in in woodbridge virginia so what did you crazy kids get up to there as you know uh we were visiting our friends the lasts they actually let you into their house <laughs> uh yeah sure we'll say that yeah <laughs> N- not under duress at all. Yeah, and didn't. No, we we were actually invited to their home. It was wonderful. Shannon and Jonathan are, as you know, because you've been there as well, are the most delightful and hospitable people. In just, they're amazing, an amazing family. They um they invited us to their house, and we arrived midday on Saturday, and just hung out. Um, Tom, Abella. Uh, his wife Sharon and four of their six children were there, and then Matt and Katya came later in the day, and we went to a Potomac Nationals game. It was fantastic. Um, they had bobblehead night, uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom bobbleheads. They gave out. So it was labeled and advertised as a, as a theme night for Indiana Jones. Which is that all it means that they give out bobbleheads? No, they, they actually wore uh, special jerseys, one-off jerseys that they auctioned off. Uh, and JVL was tempted to go do an auction. Uh, Flash was wearing, I don't know if you remember the substandard episode where he talked about this delightful night where they went there and they did a silent auction on their favorite, on Mm -hmm. Flash's favorite player's Mm -hmm. jersey and they won it. And he's like, well, what do, like, do, how do I pick it up? Do I pick it up like midweek or, or they're like, oh, you just go onto the field and get it from the player. And so like, they went out and got this thing autographed by Brian Mejia, Flash's favorite player. Well, I mean, this fast forward two years or whatever, like Brian Mejia loves the lasts. And you know how uh, Flash is a, a magnet for, for baseballs that mm-hmm. he has like a hundred of them. Well, his goal was to get a ball for my kids. And he, in fact, got two balls, and he got them both autographed by Brian Mejia. Because wait, that's, just, wait, that's just, just how life is for Flash. Okay, Flash did that? Flash got, Flash got them that. the balls? Flash is a sweet kid. And then on uh, Sunday, you, you took a trip to Sand Matthews? To Sand Matthews Cathedral in downtown D.C., where we met uh, Haiku Jonah and his one of his delightful daughters, and Erica and Rick. And here's the thing, Thomas, is that the internet is filled with garbage people, and they especially congregate on Twitter. We all, yes. like most of us know this, uh, there's so many garbage people out there, but... 
I don't know what your party was like when you went to SwampCon, but I am so charmed by these people of the SSEU. First of all, Matt's girlfriend, Katya, her and Erica are basically Disney princesses. <laughs> Here's the secret is like the, the way to my heart is through my children. If you're nice to my kids, I'm going to like you. You mean, um, you mean they're like Cruella and Maleficent? <laughs> no. Um, like, if you're nice to my kids, if you show an interest in my kids, like, you, I, I all have a lot of patience with you. Well, I've also, over the months and, and years, uh, grown, uh, developed some affection for the last kids as well. So, like, when I see Katya, like, braiding uh, favorite and uh, not favorite's hair, <laughs> like, she's, like, saying they're braiding their hair. There's like birds circling Katya's head and chirping. Um, she sings the, the as mice like, start like to sing. Yeah, the, yeah, like slippers and pumpkins. Yeah, and then the next day, Erica's like holding hands with with these girls who are are, are not like quick to um, to like meet with strangers, and like they're they just like love Katya and Erica. So like Erica and Katya have won the love of the last girls. Um, and and the last girls are just delightful and sweet in in every way. Um, and we saw this police horse as we're walking through DC on Sunday. Oh, I and saw they, photos. They just, yeah, they just couldn't help. They they just wanted to go run and see the police horse. And so we ran up and and they got to pet the police horse. So I mean, the kids were utterly delightful. Um, G Money, the youngest, he is such a performer. He is such a ham. Like he he just loves making everybody laugh. And then. Flash is 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 an awesome kid. I really enjoyed talking baseball and baseball cards and and uh, I don't know if you saw the video of me in the in the catcher's gear. Mm -hmm. Flash, you know, I went outside to play catch with Flash and he he wanted to pitch to me. He was very concerned that I was going to get injured. <laughs> you know, because he throws really hard. <clears throat> He's like, I I throw really hard. You're going to need to put this gear on. So I, I wore all this catching gear. And he would have balls in the dirt. And one thing I was a little bit surprised at, uh, I shouldn't be surprised because I haven't worn catching gear in more than 20 years. The instinct to block a ball in catching gear, like that's that's an instinct. It's it's like my body's been totally deprogrammed to block the ball. So what happens is if there's a ball in the dirt, you kind of use your body to block it. You kind of get on your knees and, and try to stop the ball. That instinct was 100% gone. And and it was a very amusing thing for me to realize that my body was just not doing what I expected it to do as as Flash attempted his curveballs and bounced the ball to me. I I've never been in the position of being a catcher. I'm usually a pitcher. So what else uh, did you do on Sunday? After San Matthews, uh, we we walked to a local lunch spot, and then um, so we walked down past the White House, and then to the so, mall, uh, to the so, World War II. So so do they prefer the Mall of America or the National Mall? Uh, I'd have to ask them, but my guess would be the Mall of America. <laughs> but but yeah, we went to the the this the World War II memorial with the water. It was it was really hot, and so they enjoyed having the water there. And you could look down the at the one end of the mall and see the Lincoln Memorial, and the other end see the Capitol Dome. And and in the, the foreground was the Washington Monument, and like that was kind of the experience. Um, we didn't go to any museums. I, I'm afraid I can't call uh, Matt or Rick garbage people anymore because I discovered they're not. That that has never stopped me. So while you were frolicking around D.C. and now spending time with family in Pennsylvania, 
I have uh, been doing various tasks around my parents' house because that's what I do when I'm here in the summer. You built a deck last summer. Where were you at this week? <clears throat> uh, this past week, I've been changing the, the spouts, the, the downspouts and, and the gutters on my parents' house, which I had no idea how big of a challenge it would be. I had never done it before. And they've been up there for about 30 years. They're, they're as old as I am. And they were nailed in place, so I had to get the nails out, I had to, to change the hooks, I had to get them up again. It, it, it wasn't fun, but it is done. It, you got to feel pretty satisfied about that. It does. Like, so this, this is the thing. And I assume, I assume that I'm not the only one who feels this way. So when you have a job that involves, I don't know, sitting at a computer a lot of days or going to meetings or being in an office, just to be outside and actually build something or repair something, it is incredibly therapeutical. It, it feels great. You feel reinvigorated. You actually see the result, the result of your labor. I love it. Does, does it feel that much better than, than submitting an essay to a journal? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, uh, you're on vacation. Have you watched um, either of the debates? No, Thomas. I'm actually not a debate guy. I like ideas, therefore I hate politics. <laughs> I've, I've kind of lost interest in politics. But like this, this Marianne Williamson has me just fascinated. I just, <laughs> I mean, she is... I don't know if we're going to do endorsements here on the SSCU podcast, but if we were, if the podcast were to endorse someone, I would want her to be our, I, that's it. I am endorsing her for president. She is my candidate. She's the candidate we deserve with all of her looniness about crystals. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I know she, that's why I want her to be president. (laughs) She's the president we all deserve. what, What are you, what are you currently beaming out into the universe besides gas? Energy, particles. I'm, I'm beaming it out and I'm, I'm absorbing it. I am the universe. The universe is me. We uh, love and hate commingle to create fool's gold. But as we absorb the energy of the universe, we can all find peace. Do you, do you, do you have some of her tweets? I do. I shared with you how much I enjoyed that she retweeted a Vox article on her in which the third paragraph reads this way. She launched her presidential campaign in January and has more or less been flying under the radar, but her persona is distinctive. She sort of feels like a cross between your local psychic, the hippie lady who runs the town secondhand store, and your mom, or um, you, two glasses of Chardonnay deep. She speaks with a cadence and accent that's hard to put your finger on. Well, let's just say it's the definition of, as Marianne would probably put it, groovy. So Vox did this write-up of her that, that that says explicitly that she sounds like she's drunk or a hippie or a psychic. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to retweet this. I, 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 I endorse this. Yeah, I'm not quite... So her official title... I guess, or like occupation is that she's an author or a writer or something like that. But she's been on the lecture tour. She's done something that has listen, to do with listen, healing. Listen, her Twitter bio says activist, humanitarian, and entrepreneur. Let's uh, see what Wikipedia has to say well, about her. Well, well, that clears it up. She's an American author, lecturer, and activist. She's written 13 books. She's the founder of Project Angel Food. That sounds about right. 
I, I love this tweet, though. Um, here we go. When enough minds are vibrating on a high enough level, then all lower thought forms will fall of their own dead weight. <laughs> I mean, that's that's some and that is wisdom. Here's another tweet. If if you want a simple explanation for what's happening in America, watch Avatar again. <laughs> Yeah, she's endorsed it in several tweets, I believe, as the, the best movie ever, or something along those lines. Yeah, I, I mean, my gosh, right? She was also the most searched on Google last night during the Democratic debate. I mean, I, th- I think in the SSEU, there's there's enough uh, loathing of Avatar to go around. It's either loathed because it's is high-grossing, it's loathed because... There's, I mean, the thing that the bad, evil corporate overlords are mining is called unobtainium. I mean, it's just stupid, lazy writing that they're like, hey, we need to come up with, uh, well, let's just put a placeholder in there for now for this thing that you can't get. We'll call it unobtainium until we come up with a better name. And then they, they got to the end and they're like, ah, just leave it in. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I would guess there, there are two different camps in the SSCU. Those who have seen it and hate it. And those who are never going to watch it or the the six subsequent sequels that are going to come out. Have you seen it? Nope. Uh, I have shared on the podcast before that I own it. It came uh, with one of my Blu-ray players that, that years ago. Like, mm. I was like, oh, it was a 3D Blu-ray. And they're like, oh, here's a 3D Blu-ray disc that you can. And like, I haven't even opened the disc in 12 years but but there are there are people out there who actually like avatar as as a movie well, it's it's the number one grossing movie of all yeah. time so there must be fans right but i mean part part of that number one spot is explained by the fact like it was new technology everyone wanted to go see it it was an experience it, right. it one of these flashpoints in in the culture that happens where everyone does something sort of like i don't know uh, uh, endgame well kind of like how everyone went streamed to the theaters to see layer cake <laughs> i guess it was just this cultural phenomena that that <laughs> phenomenon that the people just had to experience yeah, but it was very... Together. My impression was that it was very localized uh, to a specific location on the East Coast. Like a specific <laughs> household. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Like that, that was the attraction is that there's this new technology. Uh, it took... Didn't it take Cameron years and years and years to make? Yeah, it wasn't a short project. I don't think. And there is. did you know that there's a conspiracy theory about the Avatar box office? Um, no. What's, I, the, what's the conspiracy theory? Well, it is that it's not actually, it's not actually real, that they actually didn't make that, mu- that much money because the box office has been inflated in places where movies usually don't pull, pull in that much money. Uh, and it's been like inflated. Like Little, Little Rock, Arkansas brought, you know, $30 million. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and that was inflated by the distributor, which I'm forgetting right now. And so it's not actually real, but I did some Googling and it sounds like crazy talk. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Just because they were uh, helping to pat like 
Cameron's vanity or what? Like, what's the what would be the reason? The, the... I, I, no, I mean, isn't it the same reason that Marvel and Disney wants to get Endgame to the number one spot? They they want to be able to say that they yeah, I guess sure, vanity, right? Sure. I, I think sure. I think that's it. More more Avatar thoughts is that like. Um, I, I saw this discussion on on Twitter. Like, there's there's really no reason for for anyone to go see the new animated Lion King, because you know it's funny that the, like there have been these live action um, remakes of Disney movies. Well, this isn't actually live action. Like, this is just an updated animated. Like, oh, we got like technology now. We have CGI. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 anime it's animation it's not like they didn't train these lions to be like you must never go there <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't they didn't do that. You're but James point, Earl Jones is so good. The the point isn't that that to make things as lifelike as possible. Like sh- it's it's like in art. Like once art pr- progressed to a point where realism, like past realism, it's not like art ended. And I was just like, oh, well, we can make things look even more real. Like, then we got into Impressionism and Abstract Expressionism and all these different expressions of art. Art didn't end just by making things more and more real. Like, oh, wow, we have photography. We're never going to paint anymore. When you look at the animation of The Lion King, um, someone made this comment that when you would do side-by-side comparisons, sure, the new version is more lifelike and realistic, but it's not necessarily better. Like, it's... Like there was something to the animation of the old one that, that in fact, is, is preferable, I think, to many. So just like there is a novelty to say, hey, here's this like sharper, more realistic thing that everyone wants to kind of go see and experience, even though it's completely unnecessary. And the Lion King is so beloved, unlike the other. I shouldn't say unlike the other ones, but like, <laughs> could you see them adding music to it? I, I think people would pretty much reject it. Like, you can add music to Beauty and the Beast. You can add music to Aladdin, as 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 well loved as they are. But Did, people would they, freak out. Didn't they mention on the last sub beacon that Elton John wrote all of the music for it? He did. Yep. Yeah, I I didn't know that. Like that was that was weird for Sonny to to kind of bring up that point. It's like, well, he didn't. So Elton John wrote all the all the song. Now I think Hans Zimmer did the score. The film score and the songs are are, mm-hmm. are entirely different things. It was it was also interesting that they didn't know that Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics for all of Elton John's songs. And I believe the the way that this relationship between Taupin and Elton John worked was that. Taupin would send him lyrics, would just like send him like, here's a song, here's a song, here's a song. And Elton John would 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 um, produce some of them and turn them into songs. I could be wrong. I haven't seen Rocket Man. I don't know that much about Elton John. But Tim Rice wrote the, the words to each of the songs. And Elton John wrote the music for the songs in The Lion King. Elton John did record Circle of Life, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But then in the movie, like that's not Elton John singing in any of the songs. Based on my understanding... All of the songs are the original songs from the original Lion King, so there's nothing new. Nothing new, um, yeah. One thing that I like about the original Lion King is the aesthetic of it. Like, that type of animation is what I grew up with, and I like that aesthetic yeah. of it. So whether it yeah. is there or it's in Darkwing Duck or it's in Chip and Dale or wherever, that style of, of cartoon or animation really appeals to me. Builder Bob or Sponge. Bob Squarepants or whatever you have today, I it's it's not the same. Yeah, there's a certain charm to it, to to sketched animation compared to. Um, and then now, now that said, I, I do think that like Moana 
um, and Frozen are a bit of an achievement visually in that the snow in the Frozen and, and I, I the water. I like Frozen. It's pretty. And, and, and the water in Moana is – like they had to – I mean that was a technological achievement. They had to write a, a program just to, to, to have the water act a certain way and to have – you know, they, they couldn't um, – sketch every background it would have looked like if you can remember what the little mermaid looks like in the background mm-hmm. it's just kind of kind of vague yeah. waves well, and so so with disney it is impressive how they made their early movies so i went to the museum of science and industry in chicago where it's a good museum yeah it's, it's oh, a oh, great oh, museum. Oh, haber bro uh got lost at the museum of science <laughs> and industry as he was wont to did, do did he lock himself in the submarine or what did he do uh he he did not but but he got lost he because he's an airhead, wandered off and was terrified, and it was you know scary for the whole family. And somehow, like we got like this free thing out of it, like like here, pick out this wax bust, and he so he, he got a little bust of Abraham Lincoln, and I got a <laughs> little little train. But go on, yes, it's a great museum. Yeah, and so when 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 I visited twice, the first time they had a big Disney exhibit where they displayed various props that the artists, for example, used for inspiration when they were doing their drawings, and they had some of the, the cameras that they used. So they had this eight-level camera where you shot from the top and you shoot down, and then you, you move like the glass panels or whatever they are made out, out, of, out of the way, and that's how you get like the scenes where you're moving from like zooming in or zooming out or whatever. The the idea that you would make a movie that way just it it it, it was mind blowing. It was really impressive and made me appreciate the older Disney movies even more, just because of the work that they had to put in and how they had to come up with doing things. Because you know back then they couldn't just do CGI. Well, and it's not like CGI is easy, but I I think it's really interesting. Isaac, my five year old. Like, we keep saying, oh, we're going to go see Aladdin. And he's like, it, oh, okay, I, I want to go see Aladdin too. We're like, no, it's not Aladdin too. It's just it's just Aladdin. <laughs> and he's like, well, but, like, it's new, right? Like, so, he, I mean, every time there's this new live action, he, he calls it the sequel. Like, I want to see The Lion King too. Oh, no, no, it's just it's just The Lion King. Like, like he, he, his, his, like, he hasn't quite comprehended that they're just, like, re-releasing. Right, well, I mean, explain the concept of a remake to a five-year-old. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, they're different movies. He can obviously see that they're different movies, so he's not gonna understand what a remake is. But so, but but he does know what a sequel is. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, that that sort of makes sense. I think that's a lower level concept than a remake. Yeah. Yeah. So back back to the to the debate. So you haven't watched a minute of any of them. I haven't. Okay. But 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 like the next time Marianne Williamson is on TV, I am there. It's that's scheduled viewing. I'm not sure she w- so the way that the DNC has structured the debates this time is probably how the Republicans should have done it in 2016 in that in order for you to get on stage you need to have a certain number of donors you need to be polling at a certain percentage and so on and they are narrowing it much quicker than they did in 2016. They should require a certain amount of energy too. Like Jeb Jeb should not have been allowed in that stage <laughs> that with that low energy. I, I'm just glad the TV networks are learning. I I watched highlights of the first night of the debates and then I watched the entire second one. Uh, the highlights like on SportsCenter or what? Yeah. <laughs> Calling them a debate is is a bit of a misnomer, right? Because <laughs> Yeah. The, the only thing that's different between this and a stump speech 
is that you get less time and you have a bigger audience, so you need to squeeze in your sound bites into, I, I don't know, five minutes of airtime or whatever. And you're not actually debating anyone. Fifteen people. How many people are on the stage? Eight? Ten. Ten? Ten on the stage. Yeah. Uh, I think I think he said Marianne Williamson didn't speak for the first twenty seven minutes. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> just sitting there, and everyone is the 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 president, the current president, is a, an alleged rapist. He is a man of low character. He he's admitted to having an affair with a woman. We know who the president is. Mm-hmm. He's like he's pretty famous for, and as as odious as he is personally, uh, just as his his low character. The most frustrating part for me is that he insists on like an alternate reality like we're all staring at a blue wall and he's like that wall is white everyone's like uh what it's it's blue i i believe this then, is what they call gaslighting yeah yes yeah yeah eventually his supporters are like no it's white and we're all like but it's not like fifty percent of his presidency is is like him saying something that's like demonstrably false, and then his supporters falling in line. So like, this would be such an easy election for the Democrats to just snap up. But instead, they're on stage. Like every single one of them is saying that anybody who wants to come in this country illegally should be welcomed and given a million dollars and free <laughs> health insurance. It's it's amazing how quickly the Democratic Party have gone from gone from talking about securing the border and being humane to those who are in the country to just being outright open borders. And right. I mean, I, this was the, the Obama presidency is that we had, we had secure borders. We detained people. Uh, and now it's like, nope. Anyway, they're, they're, they are in no way chipping off people from the center. There, there's no effort at all. I now, I understand. I, I also do understand that like, this is a primary. Like, you tack to your base in the primary and then back to the middle for the general, but it's, it's just kind of amusing. But, but at the same time, they should, and they, they talk a little bit about this in the secret podcast, Sarah and JVL, about how they're all tacking to the left, which means that there's almost no moderates left within the party. Last night on stage, you could see a little bit more of that, but... Um, they, they are all competing for the Democratic Party's, party's base. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw on Twitter today that a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of folks, uh, thought that Biden did a poor job. I, I thought he did okay. thought he handled the attack by Kamala Harris as well as he could. Mayor Pete exceeded my expectations. Uh, he probably had the best answer of the night where, I don't know if you've heard about this. So in, in the city of South Bend, they had an uh, officer. The University of Notre Dame. An officer involved shooting. And Mayor Pete was directly asked essentially what happened. How did this happen? And he straight up said that he failed. Which was incredibly refreshing to hear from a politician. Uh, And the rest of his answer was also really great. So he is, I I believe he is sort of living up to the hype uh, that the DC media has put on him. So I think he he helped himself in these quote-unquote debates. Yeah, I I actually did see the – I must have read maybe the Bulwarks write up on that where JVL is big on people taking their medicine and I I am Mm -hmm. totally with him that like what what, what was kind of irritating with with, uh, Hillary Clinton and the incident in – what's the city I'm thinking of? Benghazi. Benghazi is that you know she was kind of irritated that like she's like I take responsibility for it and she's like irritated that like there is is the sense currently – that taking responsibility, like we're going to move on like that. Mm-hmm. 
where where what was refreshing about Pete is that he was like, um, I failed and um, you know, I, I take my I'll take responsibility. JVL brought this up with with um, with Kyle Kajnov, whatever. Um, the, the fact that he he's just like I I I've, I've apologized. I apologized, and like part of like apologizing and being contrite means that like I've uh, you don't expect forgiveness. Like forgiveness, yeah, we as a culture want to uh, support that, but like there's no expectation that, that you get to be forgiven. Take your medicine. Like you, you goofed, and that probably cost your chance at Harvard or the presidency or whatever. But like, it's up to the people, and it's winsome, I think, for Mayor Pete to be like, I, that was a failure on my part. The one thing, and I struggle with this in 2016 as well, is that I, I really do not see Bernie Sanders' appeal on stage. So in 2016, <laughs> his appeal, right, was that he was not Hillary Clinton. This time around, there are other candidates on stage that do not necessarily call themselves democratic socialists or social democrats or whatever it might be, but they have very, very similar policies. They are much more articulate. They do not sound like a shouty uncle when they are put on stage. Why not pick one of those? Like, I, I really do not see why people are so in love with Bernie Sanders. And I don't know, if, if being shouty means that you are authentic, then I guess he has that. Why are there four, why are there ten kinds of deodorant? <laughs> it's unnecessary. <laughs> your, your James Earl Jones might be better than your Bernie Sanders. <laughs> No, wait. That wasn't that wasn't me. Is did Ryan get on the podcast? It <laughs> wasn't me. All right. Um. Can, can we uh can we add Ryan to the call here? So he says he's in the car. Did you just groan? Maybe. Did you just go? <clears throat> Ryan, are you there? Hello. Hello, Hello Ryan. I can't. I can't hear the road loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> Boost the the road noise. Could you hold the phone out the window? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> That's much better. What did you say? You wanted me to stick my head out the window while I talk? Yes. <laughs> so Ryan, what's new? You know, nothing. Just uh, free manual labor for family. How how much are they paying you? Uh, <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, because in America, when um, someone gives you free manual labor, you do then negotiate price after that. <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to do it for free. All right, now let's talk about how much. You need to understand that Thomas comes from a place that has, quote-unquote, free health care. That you pay in the form of taxes. So anything that's free, he assumes costs. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're doing it for free. Okay, now what does it really cost? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I uh, I understand that you made uh, a new friend earlier today at the grocery store. Well, I tried to. You guys know that I am trying to make new friends all the time, um, and I I really I saw an opportunity today, and I thought that I did, but it turns out I, I didn't. I was I, I was so I was walking in one like to the produce section of the grocery store through that entrance, and there was a guy coming out the main entrance, and so. Like, there's about 20 yards between us. He he raised his hand to wave at me, and I immediately waved back to him. And then, right after I waved, I realized he wasn't 
waving to me. He was doing that thing where he had flipped his hand up because his keys were on his finger and he was just spinning his keys on his finger. And so, like, he'd flipped his hand up to spin his keys back and he was not waving and he just stared at me as I waved at him. And I just so did kind you, of looked at him. My initial you, instinct was to, to then flip him off, but I didn't do that. Like, did you did you do that thing where you like pretended like you were like fixing your hair? Oh, you don't you don't really no, have no. I that would have been itch your head or something. That would have been too quick. I, I don't. I'm not that quick on my feet. I just, just instead I just awkwardly stared at him as he stared back at me, like <laughs> and like he's like, do I need you? <laughs> and yeah, like why are you waving at me? And I just stared back at him, like why are you pretending to wave at me? And are are you getting waves from all kinds of people because of your notoriety from the SSEU podcast? Yes, that's what it was. No, honestly, I assumed that I must have I must have like known him or something because there's a there's like a Home Depot across the street. Um, that explains it. In, in in my old job, <laughs> in, in my old job, that was one of my I. Uh, the account that I had, I had 20 Home Depots in Austin, and that was one of my Home Depots, the one that's across the street from this grocery store. And he, he looked, you know, vaguely like a guy that could work at Home Depot. <laughs> oh my, oh my! This is the most prejudicial statement. I, I believe that's called profiling. Wait, I, wait, I profiled wait. him as, hey, that guy could work at Home Depot. At Home and Depot, or is he one of the guy that you hire to do a no. project? He like hangs out in the parking lot. I don't live downtown, Chris. Uh, Thomas probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. Ryan, did you watch? Did you catch any of the debates? Uh, not really. I watched. I've watched clips. So I watched. I did catch the closing statements last night. I saw Marianne Williamson's. That was funny. Because <laughs> uh, they're they're going for like. Who's the funniest, right? <laughs> what do you think you, about Beto speaking in Spanish? Like, do you think that was that he won over, or is that yeah, that for virtual signaling for I, the for the whites? Is that 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 worked? I think like that works as well as you know the the hail mary pass at the end of a half or quarter, or, or at the end of the half or end of a game in football. It, it worked. It's gonna. Uh, be as successful as that, I think. Or, or, or as Huntsman speaking Mandarin. Did he? I didn't even see that. What, but he—he he was the guy that was saying that we should, uh, you should all teach your, you should teach all, everybody should teach their kids Mandarin. I think he was saying that like, like ten years ago. Saying yeah. that in ten, in ten years, uh, Mandarin is going to be the most important language in the world. And basically, he's, he was the Manchurian candidate. Uh, yeah. since, we're, since we're talking about the debates, can I read a few Marianne Williamson tweets? <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. You're a lamp. God is the electricity. You're a faucet. God is the water. You're a human. God is the divine within you. Allow the flow. Tweet number two. Yin is feminine. Earth. Yang is masculine. Sky. When God is seen as he, the soul is seen as she. Just archetypes. Spirit impregnates soul. Right? <laughs> Tweet number three. God is big. Swine flu small. <laughs> See every cell of your body filled with divine light. 
pour God's love on our immune systems. Truth protects. Deep she, thoughts, guys. Deep thoughts. She's insane, right? She's, <laughs> yeah. she's crazy. Totally. 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 Yeah. All right. You want to talk dramas? I, I guess we should. So the New York Times, I guess recently, fairly recently, published an article about the... 20 best dramas since The Sopranos. So The Sopranos, I pronounced The Sopranos two different ways there. The Sopranos came out in 1999, I think, some sometime like that, and is considered to be the beginning of the, the golden age of television with everything that comes after it. Uh, did you ever read Sonny's Weekly Standard piece on the golden age of television? I did. It's a great piece. I believe you can still probably access it on the Weekly Standard uh, website. So everyone, yeah, everyone yeah, but there's it. probably ads all over the. But yeah, you could still access it. I'm sure. So they have 20 dramas that have come out since 1999. I figured that we should talk a little bit about them. Between the two of us, we've probably seen most of them. Do you think half at least? Oh, at least half, yeah. There are some that, that were a little mystifying to me. So, for example, have you ever seen Enlightened? No, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I had never heard of this show. But the other one that we'd never heard of was Rectify. I assumed it was about a colorectal doctor, but I guess it's the ass man. not. Yeah, I guess it's not. Um, but that's on Netflix, I guess? Oh. It says stream on Netflix, but... I don't know if it was. I actually, I've seen the first season of Rectified. I actually wanted to keep watching it because I think the first season was on Sundance and then um, it didn't get picked up because there's a guy. If it's what I'm thinking of, it's about a guy who's wrongly convicted of a murder and then um, he serves like he's he's a teenager when he goes into jail and it's about this small town where everybody knows everybody and he serves like 20 something years. So he's, he's trying to rectify this? Uh, no, he's not. So, I mean, he's, and, like, basically, he, like, he found peace in prison. Like, he didn't really, he doesn't find religion, but he found, he finds, well, I don't know, possibly quasi-religion, because he talks about, you know, spiritual. I assume, like, the writers just didn't want to, like, you know, make anyone mad, so he's kind of religious, kind of not religious, kind of just, like, into, um, uh, like, meditating and stuff like that, just, you know, talks to his fellow prisoner because you'll get flashbacks of like his life in prison over the last 20 years and just how you know he's uh, telling other fellow prisoners hey maybe just maybe don't judge the um experience while you're in the middle of it like you know like prison might be good for you <laughs> huh. and, okay. um, that's, a, that's a hot take question yeah. so how much how many drugs can he fit in his rectum <laughs> well that was one of the problems when he came out of prison, is he was trying to get that tightened back up. <laughs> Talk about a plot hole. Um, okay, I don't know hey what to say about that show. But, uh, yep. I, I wanted to keep watching it, but I didn't pick it out. Since I, I don't know how long we have you, um, two notable uh, things on the list were both Atlanta, which I know you're a fan of, and The Leftovers. So you've said a lot about The Leftovers, how much you love it. Um, on HBO. Uh, do you want to say? Yeah, I think the the leftovers um, is one of my. It, it's right there with the wire as possibly my favorite TV show. Of all time. I mean, it's so weird. So it it's created by Damian Lindelof, who um, you know created Lost, 
it's 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 Damon Lindelof. To be clear, it's it's better. It's Damon Lindelof, not Damien. You're you're mixing up with Damien Chevalier. Yeah, yeah. They created it together. It's a Damien Lindelof production. Damien Chevalier and uh, Damien Lindelof. That's what their production company is called, Damien Lindelof. So I was right. You were wrong. Do you have any thoughts on? Do you have any thoughts on Atlanta? I don't know. It, it's an ama- it's a ama- it's an amazing show. It's a, it, it mixes comedy and like real drama. Um, about as good as any show on TV. I think Barry is the other one that can mix like absolute ridiculousness with like real like holy shit drama. Just amazing. Like I can't. I can't believe like how you wouldn't think that they'd be able to swing from silly like funny stuff nonsense to you know real like intense serious stuff that do it so well and I mean so it has to like the writing is great but it also like they have like the performers like the, the actors are all in both shows very in Atlanta okay. um, you know Atlanta deals more with you know race and stuff and just like growing up in Atlanta because um What's his name? Um, Childish Gambino. What's his real name? Um, Donald Glover. Donald Glover. Ryan, before we let you go, can you quickly give us your five favorite drama shows? So I would go. I would say The Leftovers, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Sopranos. There's something on right now that I'm not. That I'm. That I'm leaving. That I'm leaving Blue, now. Blue Bloods. Yep, that's what it is. Uh, Ryan, you can shut up and leave now. Uh, you're you're done being wrong. Uh, thank you for jumping on, even if it was just for a short while. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Do do we want to repeat his five in case the listeners couldn't understand him? <laughs> he said the leftovers, the wire, Breaking Bad, and then he couldn't think of the his fifth. Yeah, that's it. Right, are are you ready for my top five? Uh, what what is your top five? NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, <laughs> NCIS New Orleans, NCIS Des Moines, NCIS Akron, NCIS Pensacola, NCIS Tucson, and NCIS Plano. It's a tie for fifth place, like a five-way tie. Have Have you ever actually watched any of the NCIS? Nope. How many are there? There are three of them, right? There's. I, I, I have no I, idea. There's the original, and then there's a couple cities. Yeah, I, be, uh, yeah I, I believe there's the original, LA, and New Orleans. Do you have an actual list? I do, I do. What is your actual five? My actual number five is Peaky Blinders. Uh, it's available on Netflix, but it's a BBC show. Uh, it stars Cillian Murphy, who is outstanding and a favorite of. Mm-hmm of uh christopher nolan and it also has tom hardy and if you don't love tom hardy uh, i i don't even know what to say to you it's it's a wonderful period drama uh i know batman um has is on the record i think it's batman who's on the record saying that it's just like a low rent uh what's the like atlantic city one hbo boardwalk um, empire but I tried Boardwalk Empire. Maybe I need to watch it again, but uh, I like Peaky Blinders considerably more. Board, uh, so I have Boardwalk Empire as one of my honorable mentions here. I okay. think I think it's I think it's great. Maybe halfway through, 
but at least the last season of it, maybe the last two seasons are just not as good. It's sort of dry. I only finished it because I felt a sense of duty and I wouldn't otherwise because it, it got really bad. How many seasons of... Haha, <laughs> you said duty. <laughs> How many seasons of Peaky Blinders are there? That's a good question. I'm going to bing it. And this is a British show, right? So when we say a season, it's not necessarily the same number of episodes per season, right? Right. In effect, they call it series. There's four right. series. Um, yeah. And they're they're shorter. Yeah. 20, 24 episodes total. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet myself, but I have friends who keep bugging me to do so. So it, it, is, it is on my list. My number five is Rome, the HBO show. Have you seen it? I have not. Rome is, of course, about the, the Roman Empire, about uh, Julius Caesar, his son, and so on. It, it is great. You can tell that it's an expensive production. It, it's a great show. Uh, I was sad when it ended. They, they could have done one about the entire history of the Roman Empire, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I, I'm consistently impressed with HBO's production quality. I mean, there's a distinct... <laughs> difference between them and, and network TV, yeah. which is interesting because I think network dramas are typically better funded, aren't they? I guess, I guess I'm basing this on, I, I remember when they were talking about re- reviving Arrested Development and that Showtime or HBO is going to pick it up after Fox ended it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, like we'd have to significantly reduce our budget if we were to go um, on, a, on a cable network. But right. yeah, it probably depends. Number four. Number four, uh, I have Broadchurch. It's another BBC show. It's a it's a crime drama. I've only seen three seasons, uh, but just uh, it's beautifully shot and well acted. I love, I guess it's one of the only things I've seen David Tennant in, but he's so great and I would watch anything that had him. It's so good. Third season um, is kind of an interesting Me Too quality to it. Like the the crime in, in season three is, is a rape. The credibility of... Um, the woman is is kind of raised in that like she didn't report it right away or like it, it's just a very relevant thing for today when when um, a, a survivor of sexual assault there are a lot of really good and complicated reasons for them to not report right away and it's and it, it kind of ruins your reputation and in in the light of the public opinion survivors suffer multiple times once when they're uh, uh, assaulted and then f- furthermore when they have to deal with police and and, and a skeptical public uh, so it's it's a just a beautiful and, and really well-done show. It's available on Netflix. I would not recommend popping in and seeing a couple episodes. you got to watch it in order. It's it's a serial thing. My uh, my number four is The West Wing. Okay. I'm not sure what, what came first, but I think they probably happened simultaneously. Part of my, my interest in politics and in American politics and The West Wing. I'm not sure if The West Wing sparked it or if I was already interested in politics when I started watching it, but it made me more interested. I'm, I'm pretty sure. It is. Now that's Aaron, that's Aaron Sorkin, right? Yes. So Ryan probably loves it. Is Ashton Kutcher in it? Yeah, he he plays Steve Jobs. Okay. Out of Aaron Sorkin's work, it is my favorite of his. Uh, with the uh, Rob mm. Lowe is great in it. You have love Rob Lowe. Alison Janney, R- uh, Richard Schiff, uh, Alan Alda uh, plays the Republican Mar- in the later seasons. Mar- Martin Sheen. Yeah, it's a little preachy uh, from a left of center perspective. But it has never graded on me. 
uh, during the actual show because I think that it is it is a great image of what politics is supposed to be like and how it is supposed to work and what it is like to be in the White House and the lives of these people and how they cycle in and in and out what a re-election campaign is like I, I just love it it sort of drops off in the last two seasons it isn't as good anymore it's still interesting it is still well worth watching so I have a um, the West Wing at number four. What's your uh, third? Okay. Number three, I have Breaking Bad, uh, the the great uh, AMC drama. Uh, it uh, so I watched. It was it was critically acclaimed when it first aired, and I watched the first episode and I was just sickened by it. I just really, really struggled. Yeah. What so did you spoiler with? alert on when he kills the guy in a, in his basement or in, in like he like chokes him with the bike lock. That was hard to watch. Okay, but you got over it. No, like I. Oh. <laughs> Like I, I, I didn't continue watching, and then like five years later, just the buzz had built to a fever pitch, and I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Like I need to just push through, and and probably partway through episode three, I was hooked. Now, um, I do want to say, uh, there, there's been discussion in the SSEU about this show, and some people like it, some people really don't. Um, the people who like it say that that no one actually roots for Walter. I don't think that's true. I don't like when people root for bad guys. Like the whole point of the show is to watch this guy kind of morally fall apart, and it's it's not that it's compelling, but but it's it's like you're not rooting for him to to fall apart. Uh, but but there is, I guess, there is something compelling about watching um, this guy just make moral um, compromise after moral compromise. And it's it's a well written show. It's it's really well done. Don't root for Walt, people. Don't 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 root for him. In in that sense, it's sort of like Game of Thrones, where it's really hard to root for any of those people. Right. Um, and I suppose that that's kind of what, what made Peaky Blinders compelling for the first season is that it's not necessarily clear, like, like the, the it's not so straightforward that the, the police are the bad guy are the good guys and, and the gangsters are the bad guys. It's, it's a little bit more ambiguous. And I wouldn't say there's ambiguity between the DEA and, and Walter, but there's not really a good guys. Like, it's it's drug lord and drug lord, you know. But but so, have you seen Better Call Saul? Oh yeah, I've, I've, I have that in my honorable mention. Okay, well, because I love I love Bob Odenkirk. I have actually not uh, seen Breaking Bad. You should watch it. I mean, if, if if you don't like it after like episode four, then I remember Rob Long saying this, making comment on Glop, where he was really encouraged to watch it, a certain TV show, and they're like, well, the first two seasons are bad, but it really picks up in season three. <laughs> it's like, and he's like, what? I'm supposed to drag through two and a half seasons of bad television yeah. to get to. And I, I totally agree. Like, life's too short. Like, and not everything works for everybody. Even great art. Like, so, like, if if you're if there's a show that you that everyone likes and and you just don't like it, don't push through yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and you don't have to like it. Like, not yeah. every show is for everyone. My uh, my third number three on my list is Deadwood. Have you seen this one? That's one that that I couldn't push through. Like I I couldn't really? get into it. And and I know that's like probably the most unpopular opinion I have. Um, that uh, I don't know how many episodes I watched. Four, five, six. I it just didn't do a lot for me. I I like it. I think it's probably together with Justified, which is one of my honorable mentions. One of one of the best westerns. 
uh, in in show form that I have seen. I, if Ryan if Ryan were here, he'd make a joke about there's a hotel chain called Best Western. <laughs> the Best Western uh, South Austin is actually the, my favorite Best Western. The different characters in Deadwood. So you have Seth Bullock played by Timothy Oliphant. Uh, you have uh, Al Swearingen by Ian McShane, which I think he does an amazing job with. It's it's one of my. Yeah favorite characters ever the story comes to an abrupt end in the third season you can tell that they are ending the show early i still haven't seen the movie it's really enjoyable uh, it is something that if, if if you find it off-putting with say characters cursing excessively on screen you're probably not going to enjoy it what's number two on your list justified okay i love the show timothy oliphant and the great oh uh, who's the guy who plays um, uh, Goggins? What's his Walton name? Goggins. Yeah. Oh, he's great. It's it's well cast. Um, like the main, the the leads. Um, does a really good job of having a multiple season arc of mm-hmm. of between Raylan and uh whatever Walton Goggins character is is called and um. But also mini arcs, like each season kind of yes. stands alone with, with its own kind of villain and yeah. well also and, and, and the, the relationship between the two leads, between Gargans and Oliphant, it's it's constantly it it's it's in flux. It's sometimes they're mm-hmm. allied and sometimes they're uncomfortably allied, but they're still allies and then they're not. And there is sort of a redemption arc for Gargan's character within the show that he then throws away. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's very entertaining. I watched it this past winter and I rushed through it in yeah. a couple of weeks or something like that. It's so good. It is so good. Like the, the season that, that uh, Goggins like gets religion mm-hmm. and he, like, he actually genuinely believe like he kind of starts this almost religious, the, uh, the church in, in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah, it's it's amazing. That show is so fantastic. Yeah. What's your number two? Band of Brothers. Okay. May, maybe they, that would be considered more miniseries rather than a. I don't know, but it's still a drama. Sure. It, it is probably the the show that I have watched the most times. I have probably watched Band of Brothers five or six times from beginning to end. So you're on you're on Team Vic. So is it is it a tragedy? Well, there are certain points where you sort of get your hopes up. I believe they're in they're either in Netherlands or in Belgium and they're trying to storm that city, but the Germans manage heroically to beat them back, and you sort of get your hope up that it might end differently, and then it turns out that it doesn't. Battle Brothers, the the different characters are so great. Damien Lewis does a great job. Uh, all of the different characters. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the guy who uh, all he wants from the war is to get a Luger and he ends up getting one. The sergeant or the uh, lieutenant who mows down all of the Germans fairly early in the series when they liberate a concentration camp. It, it's it's so great. It's such a great show from beginning to end. It is miles above the Pacific, which isn't quite garbage, but it's barely fine. Do you have any thoughts on Battle Brothers? Have you seen Battle Brothers? I have not seen Band what? of Brothers. You haven't seen what? I I have some gaps, and that's that's one that I've wanted to watch. And what tops your list? What do you think? I think it's The Wire. It's The Wire. Yes. We've talked about this before. Yes. It is well cast. It's well written. It is. It's an amazing show. It's been a long t- time since I watched it. Uh, interesting. I've so I have a friend uh, who uh, he's uh, he and his wife have are kind of like our 
television buddies. Like, uh, we got them watching Peaky Blinders and then Justified and then Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul. And and they are the reason that we started watching Game of Thrones. Like they they dropped off the DVD set for us, uh, so that they they bought that kind of on recommendation, and so that's how we got into it. And uh, finally, I convinced them to watch The Wire, and they're just loving it. They're watching it right now, and it it just reminds me that like I need to rewatch it. I've only seen it once. I need to go back and watch the whole whole series. I, I've seen it more than once. I think it's three times or something like that. Did you know that The Wire didn't get a single Emmy? That's crazy. Is it? Is it, a, it's, That's insane. It's, it's completely absurd. Uh, and yeah, so uh, an amazing set. Like, of ca- what, was, what was winning Emmys back then? CSI? <laughs> I don't know, but probably nothing that was quite as good. But my understanding is that a lot of people like myself, found a wire after its original run. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've never had HBO up until I started using Ryan's password. Th- there are so many iconic scenes from The Wire. I've mentioned them previously on one of the first episodes of the podcast, for example, when they are playing chess and explaining how the game works. The, the, certain lines like, you come at the king, you better not miss... Characters like Proposition Joe or Stringer Bell or Omar or um, what's the guy with the bow tie? Marlowe? Oh, um, bow tie. I don't know, but Marlowe. Brother Mazoon or whatever his name is. No, it's just great. And it is not just a story about like cops chasing bad guys. It is not a police procedural. It is nothing like that. It, it is David Simon tells this story about this city, about this inefficient bureaucracy, about a war on drugs that isn't working, about corrupt politicians. It's amazing. Yeah, if if you like if if you like television, you'll like this show. It's it's uh it's remarkable. Now what like it's also quite complicated. So had I watched it uh and had to like take a break between seasons or even between a week between episodes. I might have been gotten a little. I might have felt a little bit like Vic. Like now, who's this guy? Now, well, like well, what? Are, like what's the case they're building? Now, who's that guy? Like <laughs> you, you don't understand what I'm saying, or am I kind of alone there? There are other shows where I've gotten that feeling, but normally it tends to happen when it's currently airing and there's a break between seasons, like sort of with Game right. of Thrones. Game of Thrones, I was like, who's this guy again? <laughs> so what are your uh, honorable mentions that didn't make so, the list? So, as you have sensed, I'm a pretty big fan of, of, of good British dramas. Now, my understanding is that like British TV is pretty bad, but the, the cream of the crop is, is actually quite good. So I mentioned um, Peaky Blinders and Broadchurch. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, Idris Elba is in this uh, show called Luther. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's that's very very good. It's 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 a little dark for me. Like his um, unit is called what serious and serial or something. Like it's like really creepy crimes or like I don't know. And wh- when, uh, when did he do that? This is after he's done the wire. This is after the wire. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, have you seen it? I I haven't. It, it's one of one of those that I need to watch. I think. I mean, Idris Elba is great, and it's a great show. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Downton Abbey on on the honorable mention list. That's um, I also think also one of mine. It's it's a, it's a very enjoyable show. Maggie Smith is is awesome. Um, love it. Better Call Saul, and then I've got kind of my my. If you say network. NCIS, I'm I'm quitting. No. <laughs> Uh, my, I've got my network honorable mentions of like there are like I feel like 
it's so infrequently that network shows are great. Now, HBO, or I'm sorry, New York Times list had several network dramas. They had Lost, which I think they, they built such a great foundation, such an interesting show, and then just couldn't pull it off in the final seasons. But Lost was compelling. They had The Good Wife. I never watched that. They had Grey's Anatomy, which is somehow still on after 37 seasons. <laughs> what else was on their list? Um, Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights. Yeah. Which makes my uh, Friday Night Lights was a great show, and for a network show, like it's kind of amazing that, that there's a show this good on the network. That was under under the radar for me while it was on. I, I only started watching after it was off the air, and then um, Parenthood was a great network drama. I really enjoyed it. Oh, you'd like it. It has um, Lauren Graham from uh, from your Gilmore show Girls. from the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I, I have on my honorable mentions. I have the X Files. I I really did not uh, enjoy the reboot at all, but the original run of the X Files with uh, David Duchovny and um, Gillian <laughs> Anderson. It's Duchovny. Great. Duchovny, whatever. Yeah. Also on my list is Billions, uh, which is currently airing uh, on Showtime. It's nothing compared to Trill- Trillions. Is a much better show. <laughs> As you can tell uh, from the name. But Billions is a thousand times better than Millions. Uh, that, that was the worst joke I've ever made on the show. <laughs> I uh, I wouldn't say that. Uh, the Crown uh, is on my list. Okay. Uh, it's uh, the first two seasons. Thorny- is that Claire, Claire Foy? Yep. Are you a big fan of her? I'm not sure I've seen her in much else. Is she the one in The Handmaid's Tale? No, I have no idea. No, that- Ask Brian. Ryan's a big Handmaid's Tale guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even joking. Yeah, Loves show. I'm not sure. I also have, uh, so you hate the show. I have Mad Men among my honorable mentions. I, I thought that it was a it's, good show. It's uh, good if you if you keep the volume off. Other things on my list. Justified. I also want to mention a Swedish show, which if we had a different audience for this podcast, probably would have featured in my top five, but now it didn't. It's, the girl, girl with the dragon tattoo? That's not a show. The, the show is called Rederiet, and it's a Swedish show that ran for 10 years between sometime in the early 90s to the early 2000s. I, I watched every, sh- every episode of the show growing up. Uh, it has some people say that it is similar to Dynasty, the, the American show which competed with Dallas. Every episode of Rederiet, when it was on every episode, got around... 20% of Swedish household, 20 to 25% tuned in to watch the episodes of the show. Every fifth Swede that you met on the street, they watched the show. Uh, and it's about this ferry that goes from Sweden to Finland. And it's about the family that owns this ferry. It's about life on the ferry and the, the people there. It's probably a show that most non-Swedes wouldn't appreciate. But uh, it's a show that I grew up with, and it's always going to have a very special place in my heart. That's, uh, yeah, I can't think of, I mean, besides Dallas, maybe at that time, one in five Americans watched just those last two episodes. But there there aren't really cultural phenomena that, that uh, we all share yeah. um, like quite, quite like that. I was about to say that I don't usually rewatch shows un- unless... Just like with movies. I don't rewatch a movie unless I really like it. Uh, but I was talking to my mom earlier today. And uh, I don't know. She almost got upset with me because she, she's of the opinion that she never rewatches anything. If she's seen it once, why would she watch it again? Been there, <laughs> yeah. done that, she's over it. I, 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 just, I just, I so disagree. Part of it is I have such a terrible memory. But <laughs> I'm rewatching 30 Rock right now. And I am just loving it it is 
it is so funny. I I'm appreciating every aspect of it. And I I'll, uh, on the plane I rewatched uh, uh, Layer Cake. I downloaded it on Netflix and, and watched it. In Portugal. And I am I am appreciating it so much more than I did the first time I watched it. I don't know what it is about it, um, but like the first time I watched it with my wife. And I wasn't wowed by it, but but like this time, like I am appreciating so much, uh, appreciating it so much more. So I'm glad I, I'm actually watching it a second time. Okay. So uh, quickly, a few omissions from the New York Times list. Um, whether you, uh, just a yes or no, whether you've seen it and like it. House of Cards. Haven't seen it. Sherlock. Oh, I love Sherlock. Yeah, except the, the last season isn't great, but I love it. Orange is the New Black. Nope. Handmaid's Tale. Nope. Fargo. Nope. Really? You haven't seen Fargo? Nope. I've seen the movie. Okay. Great I would, movie. I would, I would have thought Fargo was right up your wheelhouse. Yep, that, that is the metaphor we use. <laughs> all right. That is all the time we are giving to this episode. Do you have any final words? Uh, vote for Marianne Williamson. <laughs> We'll be back tomorrow when we do this all over again. Tomorrow? What? <laughs> That's the place where I trace my bloodline. And it's there I read on a hillside gravestone. You will never leave the Harlan Well, my granddad's dad walked down Kettering's Mountain And he asked Tilly Hilton to be his bride Said, won't you walk with me Out of the mouth of this holler Or we'll never leave a heart alive Where the sun comes up about ten in the morning and the sun goes down About three in the day and you fill your cup With whatever bitter brew you're drinking You spend your life